that you love us without any strings attached and that you love us not because any of us in any way deserves anything that you've done for us, but you love us out of sovereign choice and just because you've chosen to love us. Lord, I pray that you'll keep us everyone aware that the ground at the foot of the cross is level and that it behooves none of us to be critical of others. Not ever, Lord, because we stand forgiven of so many things. And surely the things you've forgiven me of, Lord, are, are no less and no smaller than anybody else's. Open our heart to the Word. May we have our lives built on a place called Calvary, on an awareness that we've been bought by the blood of Jesus and with a sense of mission to share that with others. Open our hearts to each other. Minister life to us through your spirit. Quicken us by the word. I claim it in Jesus' name. Amen. Last Wednesday night, we considered the life and the character of Noah. Tonight, I want us to go to the Old Testament and consider a place. It is a place that it would be very easy in the study of the Old Testament. Some of the most exciting literature in print are the books of history of the Old Testament. It is exciting to see how the hand of God formed and fashioned the world and how the history of mankind developed in its whole parts until the Tower of Babel and from then to follow the people of God through centuries of leadership and protection at the hand of God as he hammered out from human flesh for himself an instrument that he would use to bring his chosen one, the Messiah, his son, into the world. And the book of Joshua is perhaps the most exciting of all the adventurous areas of the Old Testament. In reading Joshua, it would be very easy to pass over this place, one hazard of reading literature that was written or spoken in another language is that there is inevitably what we call transliteration. The New Testament and the old, for that matter, would read entirely different. And I've, I don't think I would ever devote this kind of time to any project, but somebody ought to write a story Bible that would give us a true-to-life recalling of the events but would take the transliteration out. Now, I'm not trying to give you a brief lesson in language, but when you transliterate, you take something the way it sounds in another language and instead of translating it meaning for meaning, you just bring the sounds over into this language. Now, that's convenient sometimes because it could get rather cumbersome. For instance, instead of calling him Moses, we would have to identify him every time we saw him as the one who was taken from the water. Instead of calling him Joshua, we would have to call him Jehovah saves because that is what the name Joshua means. And in Joshua, there is a seemingly obscure place in their pilgrimage which really becomes a, a, an illustration of Calvary. It was to the people of Israel when they entered the land of promise what the hill of Calvary is to the Christian who has been bought by the blood of Jesus. The name of that place is Gilgal. And if we would translate it instead of transliterating it, Gilgal means the place where reproach 
rolled away. Gilgal means the place where sin was atoned for or where reproaches rolled away from the guilty. I want us to read a rather lengthy section of Scripture compared to what I usually read and then to deal with it. I want to read Joshua 4, verses 1 to 10, and Joshua 5, verses 8 to 15. And then mention a few things about Gilgal and see some of the ways in which it corresponds to what Calvary means to us. And you know, in the Bible, when we can see the things in the Old and New Testament that correspond and correlate and illustrate each other, it will help us grasp more fully what God means to us and what he wants to do with us. So beginning with Joshua 4.1, And it came to pass, when all the people were clean passed over Jordan, that the Lord spake unto Joshua, saying, Take you twelve men out of the tribe, out of the people, one out of every tribe, and command them, saying, Take from the midst of the Jordan, out of the place where the priest's feet stood firm, twelve stones and carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men whom he had prepared from the children of Israel, one out of every tribe, and Joshua said unto them, Pass over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan and take every man a stone upon his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of Israel that this may be a sign among you that when your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What do these stones mean? Then you shall answer them, that out that the waters of Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over Jordan, the waters of Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be for a memorial unto the children of Israel." And the children of Israel did as Joshua commanded and took twelve stones out of the river. As the Lord spake unto Joshua according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel and carried them over with them unto the place where they lodged and laid them down there. And Joshua set up the twelve stones in the midst of Jordan in the place where the feet of the priest which bear the ark of the covenant stood and they are there unto this day. For the priests which bear the ark stood in the midst of Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord commanded Joshua to speak unto the people according to all that Moses commanded Joshua. And the people hurried and passed over. Beginning with verse 8 in chapter 5. And it came to pass when the people were through, when they were through circumcising all the people that they dwelt in their places in the camp until they were well. And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day have I rolled away the reproach of Egypt from off of you. Wherefore the name of the place is called Gilgal unto this day. And the children of Israel encamped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the fourteenth day of the month at evening in the plains of Jericho. And they did eat of the old corn of the land, that is of the new land, the land of Canaan. On the morrow after the Passover, unleavened cakes and parched corn in the same day. And the manna ceased 
on the day after they had eaten the old corn of the land. Neither had the children of Israel manna any more, but they did eat of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there stood near him a man with a sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said unto him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, Nay, but as captain of the Lord's hosts am I now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped him and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place whereon thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. Gilgal is the place where reproach rolled away. Just as Calvary, the eternal mountain of sacrifice, is the place where sin and eternal guilt and damnation rolled away for all who will come there to kneel at the cross and accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. It is thrilling to see how often in God's plan the imperfect things of the old covenant foreshadowed the perfect and the whole thing that God would do for his people. And so the things that we say about Gilgal may be applied easily and legitimately to Calvary and to our relationship to Jesus Christ. I want to say several things about Gilgal. Notice, first of all, that Gilgal was a place of remembrance. Gilgal was a place of remembrance. We read in verses 2 and 3 how the Lord commanded that Joshua have one man from each tribe of Israel as representatives of their people to take a stone, a large stone, that it would take a man great effort to carry on his shoulder and keep that stone and gather it together in the midst of death. In the Old Testament, Jordan always stood for death. Jordan is a symbol of death, and it is true even in the New Testament. And the greatest enemy that man in his humanity thinks that he has is death. And in the midst of death, they were commanded to build a memorial that God had power over anything. And while the Ark of the Covenant, and remember there is symbolism even here, for when Israel passed over Jordan, in the midst of death was the Ark of the Covenant atop which was the mercy seat, which was the symbol of forgiveness of sin, where once a year the blood of a spotless lamb was sprinkled for the forgiveness of the people. And while the priest stood carrying the symbol of God in his presence, we read in verses 6 to 9 that in the midst of that Jordan, those men laid those stones and built them into a crude pyramid so that they might remember God. It is a place of remembrance because it is a place where all of God's people went down into death to themselves. We have an obvious parallel. We just observed the Lord's Supper recently. 
And we remember the command of the Lord that as we partake of the bread and the cup of the Lord's table, we do remember the Lord's death until he comes. It was a place of remembrance. Unto this very day, wherever they are found throughout the world, even though the Jewish people turned their back on God 2,000 years ago, Jewish society is characterized by historically the most stable and steady and secure family system in the world. Even today, though it has been 2,000 years since they turned their back on the Messiah, an Orthodox Jew at his bar mitzvah when they celebrate his becoming a man, that boy at age 12 can recite the history of the mighty works of God as they apply to the Jewish people. And the strength of the people is that they have a national and a racial, a religious consciousness of the fact that God in a very particular and special way has blessed them throughout their history. Now the application of that is very obvious. Would often our children and those around us with a nominal Christian background take so lightly the Christian faith and their responsibilities to God if they had the kind of consciousness that could be taught them about what God has done for us in his great love? A number of people in within Christianity, wherever it is found throughout the world, don't really care and they don't really appreciate and they don't really show gratitude to God because they've never been told why. Rather, religion has been reduced to a pattern of life, a routine, a ritual, something to do, and they are never told why. This was a place of remembrance. Because God told them, build the monument. Why? As some kind of a dead stone thing of the past? No. Joshua was told by the Lord, you build the monument so that someday when you walk by the river at this point and a child looks out into the river and wonders how a man ever got down into the water to build a monument that rose from beneath the water. Sorry. When the children see the monument rising from the water, they're going to say, what do those stones mean? And then you have the opportunity to tell them. And when a child who comes aware of the fact that he's imperfect, who becomes aware of the fact that he's guilty before God, and he is told that there was a place called Calvary and that he needs to go to the cross, and he says, what good will it do me to go to the cross? Then we can say, rising from the waters of sinfulness, God dried them up. God atoned for our sins. And God made a way for the impossible to happen. Gilgal is a place of remembrance, and so must Calvary be to the Christian. And then notice that Gilgal is a place of resurrection. A place of resurrection. Verses 17 and 18 of chapter 4. Joshua therefore commanded the uh, priest saying, Come ye up out of the Jordan, 
And it came to pass when the priests that bear the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord were come up out of the midst of the Jordan, and the soles of the priests of the feet were lifted up on the dry ground, that the, land, that the waters returned to their place and flowed over the banks as they did before. Here was a place of resurrection. For Gilgal, like Calvary, represents the place where the people of God died to sin, but it also represents, like Calvary, the place where the people of God received a new life from God. When they left Egypt, they wandered in a netherland, a nothing land of wilderness on the little triangle called the Sinai Peninsula for 40 years. And Jordan symbolized death to Egypt and death to the wilderness and death to sin. But on the other side of Jordan was new life. For Gilgal was the place of resurrection. Gilgal was the place where, having gone into death with God, they came out into a new land, to a new life, to a new destiny at the hand of God. And so Calvary, which was the seat of death, becomes the source of life to Christians. And the power of God is demonstrated in that, like Jordan, which at this time of year was flooding over its banks, God overruled death itself by the power of his Son and gave new life to everybody who trusted Christ. The people together came up with their leader into new life. And then Gilgal, like Calvary, is a place of renunciation. For it was at Gilgal that the people reinstituted their commitment to God, where they renewed their vows, where they renounced Egypt, where they renounced the old way of life and committed themselves wholeheartedly to God. It was at Gilgal that they cast off their carnal existence that had existed in the wilderness. Chapter 5, verses 8 and 9 talks of this. When they had come to Gilgal, there they circumcised. Circumcision had become a physical symbol of a spiritual agreement between God and his chosen people. But from the time of Jacob and Joseph, when the people of Israel had gone to the land of Egypt, the covenant, the agreement, the physical symbol, the commitment of the people had waxed and waned until when Moses went to Egypt, they hardly knew anything about God. And so the task of Moses when he brought the people out of Egypt into the wilderness was to start all over again and educate these people to the fact that God had chosen them and that God required certain things of them and that God had laws and standards. And here we see the divine power in choosing his people because during the stay in Egypt, if the Israelites had any religion at all, they for the most part followed the religion of Egypt. But at Gilgal, following deliverance from Egypt, following the wilderness journeys of 40 years when God had handed down his law to Moses, when God had purged the rebellious ones of the people and preserved them miraculously, here at Gilgal they renounced the old life and committed themselves anew to God 
And when a Christian comes to Calvary, it is not simply a matter of kneeling there to be cleansed by the blood. It is in gratitude and because of new life to renounce all that is past and to move off in a new direction as we follow Jesus with our whole hearts. So Gilgal becomes the place of renunciation. And then closely related to this, chapter 5, verse 10, we may say that Gilgal is the place of restoration as Calvary is. You will find that the people of Israel for quite some time through the conquest of Bethel and Ai, through other battles, Gilgal was their headquarters. They came back to Gilgal. When the people of God forsook the agreement, the covenant that God was the boss, when they were defeated and humiliated at the little village of Ai, they came back to Gilgal and they were restored to God. You see, going to Gilgal, going to Calvary, changes our destiny, but it does not eliminate our humanity. We'll never be free of our humanity until we go to be with the Lord. And so even soon after it happened, verse 10 talks about the observance of the Passover. But if you would read on further over into chapters 6 and 7, you would discover that they came back to the camp at Gilgal after they had been defeated. And there Moses, I mean rather Joshua and all the leaders of Israel fell on their faces before the altar of God in the tabernacle and wept and repented and asked God to forgive them and to restore them. And when in the practice of our lives we get away from our commitment to God, when we forget like Israel did, and remember the sin of Israel was very simple. They didn't do anything bad. You read about it in chapter 6 and 7. All they did was forget that God was in charge. And when we forget it and move off in our own direction, serving God our own way with the best of intentions, and sometime God allows something in our lives to jog our memory and to remind us, then we too come to Calvary again, not to be saved again, but to be restored and cleansed and forgiven of our unfaithfulness. So Gilgal, like Calvary, is a place of restoration. But then Gilgal, like Calvary, is a place of realization. For it was at Gilgal that they began to eat the promised fruit of the promised land. All during the wilderness time, they had been wholly and totally dependent on a daily miracle or they couldn't even eat. But God had promised them that when they went to the land of promise, it would be a land of plenty, a land flowing with milk and honey, a land bountiful and productive that the land would meet all of their needs. And so Gilgal is a place of realization. Gilgal was not a place of an empty promise for when they had worshipped God in the matter of the Passover. Beginning that day, the land provided their needs. And Calvary is not a place with an empty promise of pie in the sky by and by. 
Calvary is not a place where God promises us all of the things that we will have someday. Calvary is a place where we become heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, partakers of His nature and owners of all the bounty He gives. And Calvary is a place like Gilgal of realization. And then notice in verse 13, Calvary is a place like Gilgal or Gilgal like Calvary is a place of revelation. For it was at Gilgal that the children of Israel met the captain of the Lord's host. Now you may have heard me some time ago in dealing with this passage state that there are many, many, many competent, godly scholars of the Bible that believe this incident in Joshua 5, 13 to 15 is what is called a theophany. And all that means is an appearance of God in physical form. We know from studying scriptures all the way through from uh, the book of Genesis when Abraham met angels to the book of Revelation when John dealt with angels, all the way through the Bible, no angel ever allowed himself to be worshipped. And yet the captain of the Lord's host allowed Joshua to fall on his knees and worship him. And there's only one real plausible answer to this situation. Joshua met Jesus by the Jordan. And so we see the pivotal point of all history, and it is also the pivotal point of the history of Israel. For at Gilgal, Israel met Jesus, and at Calvary, all who are saved meet Christ. Gilgal, like Calvary, is a place of revelation where a man meets God. All of the things that we may say about Gilgal are true and apply to the life of a Christian. It is a place of remembrance and oh how important that we remember how much God has done for us. It is a place of resurrection and how important it is that we live as though we have been resurrected from the old life. It is a place of renunciation where we quit looking behind and begin facing Jesus. It is a place of restoration where we may come when those inevitable times of sin and failure occur and receive His forgiveness and His renewed blessing. It is a place of realization as a Christian's life and success and effectiveness day by day depends on him realizing and understanding that God has done what he has done for him now and not in the future. And it is a place of revelation for no man can know God unless he meets Jesus at Calvary. The Christian life has its roots firmly embedded in Calvary the place where we died with Jesus, the place where we rose with Him, the place where we have deliberately renounced our carnal lives and where we have entered into a living relationship with our Lord, the place where we have begun to take the strong fruit of the land, His Word, and the place where we can realize every moment of our lives that the captain of the Lord's host 
is with us every day. May we pray. Father, I thank you on behalf of Israel that there was a Gilgal where you did so much. But Lord, that little hill by Jordan stands overshadowed by the towering heights of Calvary where the price of all sin for all time was paid by the eternal and sinless Lamb. Keep us aware of what you've done. May we go often to our Gilgal, to Calvary, and renew our vows and walk day by day with you in the assurance that you're with us. Now minister life to our spirits through your word. Honor the word. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we go to the Lord in prayer tonight, you will notice the prayer list and the shut-in list here. There are a couple of words of explanation that uh, are due you. Some of these you'll be familiar with and aware of the need. Uh, but let me report that Tom Anderson had surgery this morning. Uh, it was a radical major surgery. They took out a large portion of his colon. He came through the surgery fine, is resting well, and uh, should recover from the surgery. Lauren Dale Taylor is in uh, Mercy Hospital for chemotherapy and a uh, relationship to a continuing problem that he has. These others, varying needs of sickness. Uh, the name at the bottom of the sick list, uh, right above Mr. Joe Souter, who is improving, by the way, is the name of uh, Ted, and I can't pronounce it, Wong Grit or something. I, I just, I'm not sure how to say it. But these young people are new here. It's the son-in-law of, son of the Leland Blantons. And uh, Mrs. Blanton called the office to tell us that in the first day on his new job, and she neglected to tell us, and I don't know what it is, on the first day of his new job, he cut off a finger. And uh, they took him immediately, I suppose, to emergency with the finger, and he is in McBride, where they are uh, attempting to see, to re replace the finger and wire it in and connect it and everything so that he'll be able to, to have it. So these are uh, rather urgent prayer needs, and there are other names here. Are there other things that you would mention as we go to the Lord in prayer tonight? Yes. That's your cousin? Okay, we sure will. The cab driver that was uh, kidnapped earlier. I wasn't aware of that connection. We certainly will be praying. I'm sure many have as we've read about that day by day. Tom is in uh, room 615 of Deaconess. The doctor told us after the surgery that he would be pretty well miserable the rest of the week. A call or a brief visit uh, to register concern would certainly be in order, but he will very likely not really be seeing anybody before like Monday. Mercy, room 338. Tom is in 615 of Deaconess. What else would you mention as we go to the Lord in prayer?